Hello everyone, this is Fanboys coming at you from Central Texas. I'm Steve and I've got my co-host Tomek with me. Hello Tomek. Hello Steve. And hello world. This is um, episode six of the Fanboys uh, podcast. Um, we are excited this week to talk a little bit about um, a few races that are, the one race that's upcoming, um, sort of go through, actually two races that are upcoming. Um, we'll be talking about the Shanghai uh, Diamond League meet that goes on on Saturday. We'll also be talking about Kipchoge's announcement this last two weeks about his going again for the sub two um, with the Ineos 159 um campaign that we'll talk a little bit about. Um, but our main topic of conversation today is going to be doing a basic breakdown um, and sort of discussion between Tomac and I on the Castor Semenya situation and to try to basically bring some clarity to people who don't know exactly what's going on. Um, and then he Tomek and I have been discussing this back and forth. We, we basically are in agreement um, on the topic, but we just thought the complexity of the issues, um, the confusion that has been played out, especially in um, the American media over the last uh, two weeks, um, and the sort of long-term impact that this could actually have on our sport overall are critical issues. And so we just thought we would take a stab at maybe clearing things, some things up, giving you guys a basic idea of what's going on, and then hopefully sparking some of your interest in the topic. So um, what do you think, Telmec? You think uh, you think we should, we, we, we're going to be able to take a stab at this thing? Or are we going to get ourselves I, in deep shit? <laughs> I know. That's what I'm just thinking. Gosh. Uh, yeah, let's try. Let's try. I mean, has been a lot of has been said already um, in the last what three four weeks, and uh, in preparation for the for the court hearing and and after and you know it's a lot of news came out, a lot of opinions and in general kind of it's slowly settling down. So I think it's a good good time for us maybe to talk about it a little bit cal calmer, uh, you know. Um, overview of what's happening and what's happened yeah and this this issue is so complex and it's it's meandering and confusing science has also not helped and then it's being picked up by the national by the world media um as a cause celebre in terms of transgender and gender politics and the politics of what testosterone is now have now gotten to the point that um it's still touchy, and we really do hope that we don't offend anyone with our comments. And if we do offend you, then reach out and let us know, so I can I can get my shit clear and figure out how to how to talk about this. But we've done a lot of I've done a lot of research on it, and um, so let's just basically break down the situation. Um, to cut to the chase, uh, a couple weeks ago, the um, well, let's first start with the basic players. Okay, the whole the the, the basic players in. Um, what this conversation is. Um, so there are the athletes, um, and in this case, and which is one of our main points, one of Telmax and I's main points, is that one particular athlete um, has become the lightning rod for um, this topic. Castro Semenya, the two-time Olympic champion, three-time world champion in the 800 meters, um, has basically become the poster girl for... Um, 
this gen this this gender issue that has now inflamed so many people in the world. And it's a real shame, Tomek, because Castor is just one of the people who are even in her event she's just one of a number of them who are um in the same category and not that we would want anybody to necessarily be to be vilified um or or so put on a pedestal as Castor has but it does seem a little bit unfair that Castor is the one person who's been highlighted here when you've got both Francine and Saba um Margaret Wambui um a number of 400 meter runners um and, you know, it just seems like she's the one be to get all the attention. And, and why do you think that is, Tomek? Because <laughs> she has been winning everything. Uh, That's exactly I right. <laughs> I also think she also looks a certain way, too. Do you know what I mean? I think exactly. that she's also, she's, she's so resembles, as many people have said, she resembles a high school male, right? Um, I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that's actually accurate. But And it's also incredibly um, sort of sexist if that word can be actually used in this case. But um, she wins and she looks the part so that she can be someone who they can pay attention to, right? And somebody that they could they could fight a, fight against because she's she stands at so stark a contrast to the competitors that she's standing on the start line with. Yeah, it, the, the way also, you know, um, Castor has been winning those races, it's almost like sometimes she's not even trying that hard and it comes so easy to her and and you know it's been race after race year after year and it's you know i i'm surprised not many women <laughs> quit sports because of of that and some of them made some comments and right now you know in the recent weeks those women you know came out and said they, they've been in a way persecuted by by making those comments you know which is which is another bad bad part of this whole story it's like uh, you know like you said it's a mess but so let's let's explain a little bit what what we're talking about here okay well first let's say that so there's the athletes that are a part of this there's also our federate the federation which is the IAAF um, which is the world governing body for track and field who basically um, has to be the who also got have gotten painted with a with a really tough brush because they're the ones who actually have to make a determination here the IAAF is always getting lambasted they're almost always getting shit and almost never getting credit right it's one of those situations where when they do great things everybody says you finally did your job and when anything goes wrong everybody wants to vilify them however they have certainly allowed themselves to be come under criticism for a lot of things and in particular the way that they've handled this case um and the way that they've sort of made caster seem to be the main protagonist here that people are paying attention to um and then there's another um, player here we need to talk about, which is the Court of Arbitration of Sport, which we'll call the CAS. And they're an independent international governing body that has been set up to basically handle disputes that happen in any sport. Um, so it would be in sport across the world at any level. This particular independent governing body is designed basically to give a voice to the Castro Semenyas of the world or to other people who feel like perhaps no one is listening to them in their federation or in their individual sport. And so it's a group that's basically um, gets educated on the topic and um, is impartial and 
is independent and so therefore um, they are able to take the issue under consideration and in most people's minds this group has, um, has done a really good job of across the board of handling these kinds of disputes in sport. So they handle things from cricket to golf to, to soccer to cycling. Um, these issues that come up are brought to this arbitration board, this arbitration court and it helps people make decisions. Um, and the final character we'll be talking about in this case is a scientist. Um, we'll, we're basically going to be highlighting Ross Tucker of the Science of Sport, who's also a South African, like Castro Semenya, who basically has um, waded in deep and waded in often on this topic of conversation. He's a sports scientist who's done, um, who's incredibly well-educated in the science of this part of the sport, obviously with his with his blog and his um, his. Accolades. He's actually an exercise physiologist and PhD who's been following this issue since its very inception, its very beginnings. He also dips his toe. He also weighs in heavily on topics related to doping in sport. Um, his main sports of interest are track and field, running, and cycling. And so he has. He's he's incredibly well respected. Um, he is very impartial, um, and he is definitely a true believer in the sport in the in the aspect of science and the the way of science in terms of determining these issues. So we'll be talking about Ross a little bit as well as he's weighed in heavily on these topics. So those are your main players, Castro Semenya, the IAAF as the Federation, the CAS, which is your court, and then um, the scientist in Ross Tucker. So those are the basic four folks we'll be talking about throughout this process. Um, but really, um, the, the question here really is, is what are we talking about? What is wrong, quote unquote, based by the IAAF standards with Castor? Why is Castor need, why did this come up? Um, and why have people been um, talking about it? And that's because this is an issue of what, of categorization in our sport. In order for we basically have decided in our sport, in the sport of track and field, as it is in many sports, to basically make a category of competition men and women. Um, and the reason for doing that is because we that most people, our society generally feels that men and women should be categorized into different categories um, because men and women are different. And men and women are different because their bodies um, produce different hormones and that production of hormones give men an advantage in sport that requires um, or suggests the efficacy and the need to differentiate between the two sexes. Um, and that's really what's at odds here. If the IAAF or any other governing body basically decided to say it's all going to be one category doesn't matter what your sex is. It doesn't matter what variations of sex you are. It's winner take all. Whoever comes across the finish line first. Um, in events from the 100 meters to the 10,000 meters, everything that's on the track, um, to the half marathon, up to the marathon, um, you're going to see a man win. Now, when you move on to the ultra marathons, you might see women win. They've won occasionally. Am Trance and Beeson being case in point in the 90s who won Western States outright. But at these race distances, the best in the world, best women in the world um, are significantly behind the best men in the world. And at every, at every juncture, at every distance, at every race distance. And so... That's the main issue here. Castor um, has 
hormones and has um, has been born with a advantage over other women. And what is that advantage? Basically, she has naturally produced androgens or which are basically male sex hormones. Even though she was bo she was born, she's intersex, which means that she was born um, outwardly looking as if she were a, f a female. Um, had and the doctors um, at her birth determined that she was a female. However, and and de depending on um, in her case, we don't know all the basic attributes for her. We don't the, a lot of the information that we have about Castor's actual physiology has been protected as it should be by international regulations that state that people's bodily people's medical information is private. And so we don't we have had leaked information about what Castor actually what Castor's um, you know hormonal levels actually are what her chromosomal levels actually are, um, but we don't know exactly, and that hasn't been revealed to the general public. And so, but we do know, and the case in point here is that she is what we would call intersex, and intersex means that she is born basically with. Um, she is born. <clears throat> sorry, guys, I my computer just did a fart. <laughs> um, she is born. Uh, with a mix of characteristics and that that means that she has she at puberty typically is what happens at puberty these women <clears throat> basically start to produce because they have internal testes they begin to change and they basically begin to take on attributes that are similar to male counterparts because that's what the hormonal levels that they have so <clears throat> this is why this is <clears throat> question is so confusing for many people because what happens with intersex is that there are like 50 or 60 distinct intersex subtypes um, that kind of impact what hormones you have, what your testes and ovaries are, what your genitals are. And so it's like these, and, and this is an area of topic of conversation that up until the last 25 years has been, has been not talked about and has been um, swept under the table for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years anybody who was born with um different genital parts or different born in a different way was considered was it was made a decision for them in advance you were going to be female or you're going to be male and that was it and then they had to deal with that decision and things have changed so much over the last 50 years in terms of what actually is going on scientifically and the scientific revolution has allowed us to see wait there's a lot more nuance here and there's a lot more ambiguity here and there's a lot more flexibility here however this which is which is a f amazing and fantastic and awesome that our society is beginning to see the differences and changes and the sort of the, the flexibility that plays in here the diversity that actually exists but we still have to get on starting lines and still have to have levels of competition and so this definitely impacts what happens on a starting line if you've got men and women competing in different categories what do you think Tomek? Uh. Yeah, you're right, and it's it's such a new subject, and it's um, you know well the way I think it's good that somebody had to start doing that, and like you you, you mentioned, I double it's the one that needed to you know represent the sport and 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 the vision that are recognized currently in sports, men and women. And, and needed to regulate that. 
and so they they got a lot of criticism because of that and everything else but you know as as we're moving forward uh, you know sooner or later this thing had to be done the recognition of who is who and how things should work uh, you know at, with the current division of men and women that's that's how it had to be done in the future who knows we may have like you said different categories and we may have one category i don't know we'll see but you know uh, we we will have more cases uh, similar cases that you know nature throw at us uh, no doubt in the future to deal with and you know uh, we just have to take case by case I guess and, and you know in my opinion those who make decisions they just have to mute everyone else's opinion since these days everyone seems to have their own opinion and express it on the internet you know and uh, so it, it's just i believe it's for the for the good of the sport and 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 current situation that 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 needed to be done yeah so caster has um you know she's basically stated that I mean, she's been a she's been an absolute hero through all of this. I I said to you at one point in time that I thought she'll be considered a Muhammad Ali in the future because of her. Um, she stayed above the fray. She's continued to say, "I'm a female and I am fast." Right? I'm a woman and I'm fast because yep. that's what she knows. And everything that that everything that one thing that's important for everybody to understand that Caster didn't. All of this is naturally occurring in her. She's done nothing wrong. And that's the main issue, I think, right. that much of what's happened and why this gets painted with such a, a broad brush is because, um, you know, the, the liberal media wants to basically state that we shouldn't, Castor should not be judged um, negatively because she has no choice in the matter and we have diversity and diversity should be should be recognized and valued and seen as important and necessary in our world. And then the conservative media wants to say, hey, there's men and there's women and that's it, right? And both of them are too simplistic in this case. And um, the argument is that both in, in this case, I think, in a lot of ways, these are political arguments that Castor has nothing to do with, right? Castor's just stuck in the right. middle of this. And she stood up and said, I believe that I'm a woman. I am not going to change who I am. If you're going to change the rules, then I'm going to compete as I am a woman who's fast in wherever I need to compete in. And I think for that reason, Castor is going to be viewed as a hero, and I, I think she already is being viewed that way. And um, she's ahead of the times, and you know the complexity of this issue, the lightning rod that the issue is, um, she has weathered this storm and held up incredibly well. Um, it's been pretty amazing how much she has, um, how well she's handled this. But it doesn't change the argument, the fact that she has a huge advantage on a starting line when the gun goes off. Um, and I don't think that, and nobody from Ross Tucker, the scientists, um, all the way up and down the line, everyone agrees that there's no doubt that the amount of testosterone that she has in her body that is a huge performance enhancer. Um, and the reason you can say that is that um, look at 
the way that she's won and how handily she's won throughout this time. And somebody might say, well, but look at Michael Phelps or look at Ilya Kipchoge. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, Ilya Kipchoge has an incredible VO2 max system and has a mind that's able to, to really make amazing things happen. Um, you know, Michael Phelps had a wingspan that was so wide. We're not going to judge. We can't say, oh, Michael Phelps is illegal because his wingspan is longer, right? Um, we're not going to say that because um, Usain Bolt's leg length was so much longer and his body weight to power ratio based on that leg length that he's now in a different category. Well, these are not this. These are not apples to apples when you're making that argument because uh, it it is it is this case is that this this experience this woman is competing against other women who do not have that same advantage, and it, and somebody will say, well, yeah, but it, isn't that the same thing? But we have this category. We don't have a separate category for seven, you know, for different arm lengths, right? And so. It doesn't. It can't be made that same exact argument because it's not exactly the same. And um, the other two women who are in this case have infrequently been on the podium with Castor are also intersex athletes. We believe we don't have true proof of that, but um, it seems to be the information has been coming out, especially with Nian Saba, that she is um, intersex as well. And so the women's eight hundred has been completely, completely won over by these three women and the reason is is because they have a xy chromosome and they are disproportionately they have they have a much more testosterone in their body and that's why they're winning and because of that women who are not in that same category cannot win and they cannot compete so you know there's an argument for why is hormonal level and how why is hormonal level and, and chromosomal level different from wingspan and i'd love to hear other people's arguments for why those are different but in my mind they are what about for you tomek yeah that's you know castasemania case is 0 0.01 you know women um would have uh, I mean, 99.9% .9 women have testosterone below, you know, point, like never have more than three uh, nanomoles or something per liter or so, whatever that measurement Yeah, it's never is. been tested for higher than three, right? I think the right, highest right. Pro like, like, was like 2.1 and that's been like five times right. ever, right? So if you take yeah. arm length, they are probably... 10% or 20% men that would have arms like that. They're not all swimmers, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not a definition of, you know, if, if that was 99.9%, .9%, you know, men with arm length like Michael Phelps, he, he would, would have a case, but that's not the case. And it's, he's not different, really, and he's just, his body is built a little bit different, the physical body, but not really internal uh, you know i don't know how to call it but like the engine i guess i'm not not even an engine whatever yeah. he's man which is a little bit taller but not that much anyway yeah it, i mean um, you do see where it's a slippery slope though you can see where people can get can get sideways about it right and that people will think that hey we're and, and because of the lightning rod issue of gender and the gender identity and gender changes and what transgender is has changed so much over the last 25 years, it becomes it becomes a challenge, right? And so 
I do think you're right in the regard that in in 15 to 20 years, we'll either have more science or more individuals who fall in this category, and Castro will be seen as a champion and a leader. And if there's if we see more and more of this, then they'll then the IWF will probably change the rules. The one thing that's really interesting to me, though, about all of this, Tomek, is the timing of everything, right? So, Castor. And, you know, it's like 2009, basically, she bursts on the scene, right? And in Berlin. Yeah. And um, she wins that race out of nowhere, uh, kind of out of nowhere. People knew she was coming because they'd seen her on the circuit. But when people saw her for the first time at, eight, at 18 years old, and then she wins the way she won, um, people were like, what the fuck is going on? Who is this? And it immediately set off this shitstorm. And... You know, by 2011, the IWF had to set a new measure. They basically started to create its handro, its hyperandrogism regulations, which basically says that they had to put a cap on testosterone levels. And all this happened because Castor, of Castor's situation. Um, and, you know, it's like they knew that they had to deal with this and they had to deal with it quickly because there were so many women who were being impacted who were behind Castor. Right, and so Castor becomes this lightning rod because there's other women who are not getting the what we, we would consider a fair opportunity at to do make a living at their sport, right? And so there's probably a significant and substantial number of of lawsuits that could come about to the IAAF if the IAAF didn't come down on some kind of rule and some kind of regulation that basically stated one way or another that what Castor's situation was 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 it was fair or not fair was reasonable or not reasonable based on the rules and regulations that the uh, the federation had to make and that's reasonable right but i think that the IAAF in a lot of ways has kind of made a bed for themselves that has been hard to sleep in and that's because they decided to do this so quickly and so fast that it didn't allow the science to catch up. And it created kind of poor science or at least some results that, that indicated in the IAAF's um, own studies that were put out that there were a lot of problematic issues with the factors that went on in there. They were also not some of those some of those tests were not scientifically peer reviewed and um it came to be seen that people were basically feeling that the IAAF was kind of covering things up so Ross Tucker from um Science of Sport basically got really involved and started doing independent testing of those things went through and tried to test all the way through it and he basically found that the IAAF's tests were not quite right and then that set up another whole firestorm about the IAAF sort of ganging up on Castor. Well, at the end of the day, even Ross Tucker will say that Castor Semenya has an unfair advantage, right? That, that there's no doubt that Castor has an unfair advantage. He was just arguing that the IAAF was moving so quickly in regards to a topic that would have such a huge impact over the long haul on the sport that, um, that he thought that we at least, if we're going to use science to make the rules here, let's at least make sure we've got good, clean science that everybody can understand. And I do think that the IWF kind of stepped in a pile of shit there by trying to speed the process up, get the process done. But then I can also see the arguments of, let's say, Ajay Wilson, who's like the best athlete in the world in the 800 meters, who's not intersex, right? Who now has had one Olympiad for sure, coming up on another Olympiad and multiple world championship medals that are not gold. Um, and not that we would, she would be a shoe in for that, right? But that there was that she is be, not being given an opportunity because the IWF hadn't come down on a ruling one way or the other, right? And I'm not saying Ajay Wilson is making 
any noise about this. She's also a hero in this regard and has said, I want to compete against whoever is on the starting line and I will race whoever's on the starting line. And I love her for that. But, you know, there are others who might be saying, and especially in the litigious society we live in now, I don't have opportunities and the IWF is, is responsible for that. What do you think about that? No, that was a big mess uh, when, when yeah, yeah, pretty much what they did, you, you didn't mention, right? They forced Castor to to undergo sub testosterone suppression. So from 2011, 2015, right? She, she went under keeping that under five nanomole uh, testosterone and and she was you know she was running 201 202 two, two minutes just like just like any other women just like fast average woman i guess the professional level but then they they were ordered right to to reverse to because the evidence was known and like you mentioned and and that's where the caster started running. That's what we know her the most in the last what nine four years. She has been dominating. Uh, I don't know how many races she won, but uh, she can't be touched in the last. <laughs> no, she can. No, no, she can be touched. And she, she, you know, uh, we haven't mentioned yet, but she started racing in the last couple of years, four hundred meters and fifteen hundred meters, and she, she was not dominating but she was pretty good she would go and win african championships in 400 meters 800 meters 1500 meters you know it's like you, you never see a man uh, winning 400 meters and 1500 meters race it's it's impossible pretty much but uh, uh so that's that's what the i guess work has been has been kind of done in those last three years and uh, just recently right presented um, before cast uh, to 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 kind of regulate all of that. Yeah, but the other problem here too is the IAAF has just decided to not only have they focused on Castor herself, um, but that's because Castor is the one who's been bringing suit, correct? So um, she's the being the face of it. But um, additionally, they have limited this to the four hundred, the four hundred hurdles, the eight hundred, and the fifteen hundred. Um, and so, and I, and they, and I think that, what did they say about the 1500 that they are not going to, they, she can move up to the 15 in this next, oh no, she can't do it in this next Olympiad either. But basically I think that there's another problem with the IAAF is it continues to look like they're targeting caster by the limitation of the events that they've decided to put this right. in when there's no doubt that the testosterone at the levels that they're talking about would impact performance at any level from the hundred meters all the way to and let's talk about the field events you know that there we're i mean it just seems to me that iwf got too fast and moved too quickly because this they should create a standard that should be in effect that that fits every event all the way across or they should create specific designations at every event level if they want to go that route now that seems crazy to me but I do yeah. think that there should at least be a standard level, no matter what, because um, it just doesn't seem to me, it seems to me to continue to be just focused on caster situation, and it brings more and more of a feeling like they've targeted her, which then brings it into a racial slash socioeconomic category of her being, of her being, Af of, you know, her being, um, 
African, also her being South African, her being poor. I mean, there's so many different areas where she just gets painted with this brush that makes it look like the IAAF was targeting exactly what we're not trying to target right. in a diverse and open society, right? And I don't think IAAF has done that, but they certainly have, done, have not done a damn thing to make themselves look better in this regard. Um, and the speed yeah, the with which they, they moved. Yeah. yeah and the, but right. I don't know that, but I also know why they had to move so fast. The two, you know, the 2019 yeah. World Championships were coming up. The 2020 Olympiad was coming up. I mean, they it's it's a it's a really screwed up situation for everybody and everybody involved. Um, and I do think that I wish the IWF had handled things a little bit differently. But I do know that they have had an absolutely incredibly difficult way of a difficult situation to deal with and address. Um, but again, right. Castor comes out as being incredibly incredibly um, gracious, incredibly strong and powerful. And I think on the long run, someone that all of us will be able can look at now. And I think in the future will be someone who will look back at and say, this is a Jesse Owens, a Muhammad Ali, um, a Susan B. Anthony. This is someone who has changed our society um, for the better. And she um, is, is it's a game changer in my opinion and she's and no matter how this plays out over time she's stayed consistent and stayed the focus and done her best and said i'm a woman and i'm fast and end of story right 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 well, to summarize to summarize the the cast of Semenias for for the listeners like you know she is not gone uh, she she still can compete she just she just can compete i mean if she doesn't want to change her testosterone levels, she cannot compete, like you mentioned, 400 meter, 800 meter, 1500 meter events. She can, however, race anything above 1500 meter, 3K, 5K. So 5K would be more an Olympic event, a World Championships event. She um, she even tried already this year 5K. She actually won South African championships in the 5k it was not a world-class time but she beat uh, pretty good runners very good. In, yeah. the, in, yep. in that race yeah so women who have been in the finals know, women who have been in the finals at the olympic games in their event right right so i we haven't heard uh, from casta yet what i'm guessing she she didn't say she's done she's she said i'm guessing she's gonna appeal she's gonna fight that rule but i wonder if she is you know, thinking about Tokyo or World Championships later this year, if she's going to try to do 5K. And, uh, you know, I guess we will see. But, uh, but yeah, she is not done. She's not being um, removed from the sport. I, I don't think she will. She said she's not going to change her, her, you know, she's not going to go under treatments. And if I was her, I wouldn't do that because it's kind of, you know, stupid to what's well, also been harm. it's also been linked to ovarian cancers and other and other terrible right, a lot of right. a lot of diseases exactly. that exactly. that could be very negative and um and honestly she shouldn't have yeah. to but she also no ne shouldn't necessarily compete against the best the women in the world exactly. who are at a lower testosterone level so okay Tomek, right. so i'm going to put you on the on the spot Did, at the end of the day should Castor be on the starting line at the World Championships in Doha in the women's 800, in your opinion? Should she be on the starting line competing, and, and, and why or why not? No, no. 
She, she shouldn't. I mean, I, I go, uh, the evidence is clear, you know, what, uh, what, what all the articles written and, and experiments, not experiments, the scientific whatever models done. Uh, yeah, she should not be on the, on the start line with the, with the, with, with, you know, the way it's presented right now. But then for me, if she's on the start line on a 5K, that's going to be ridiculous too. Like, what's the difference between 800 and 5K? I don't get it, right? It's, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's just a little bit longer. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, so I'm on. Like, yeah, go it, ahead. It's, it's, so it's going to only, if she is on the start line on a 5K, it's going to only tell, like, look, Yaf, you look so silly because you made this this case and like what is the difference right it's i don't understand but we will see yeah we'll see i i do think it'll be very interesting to see what happens if she gets into the 5000 and then and then um doesn't make a final or can't even make the iw can't even make the world standard but i think we both know that she will make the world standard um you know of <laughs> course you know there's another whole subtext here that i that i always come up with which is Caster should say that the same amount of time and energy should be spent on the doping issues that are going on with non-naturally occurring testosterones and other things. Exactly. And the argument could be made that the person that she could be standing on the starting line with, uh, with Ayana from Ethiopia, who I think you and I both feel like is a, although she's not tested positive, she is certainly someone that I believe is doping because we never see her ex outside of a world championships and Olympic games. She always seems to be injured or something else, but then she sets the world record in unbelievable heat at the Rio Olympics in the 2016. I was there and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. There's no way that this happens. Um, you know, it's like crazy that this is possible, but you also say that, um, you know, it will be a very weird situation if she is on that starting line and if she is competitive. And I think that the IAAF has, has still has poop on the shoe and they're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And I wish that, um, I, again, I don't think this story is over. I think we'll be continuing to talk about it. I think we should continue to talk about it. I don't know if we cleared things up or we made the waters muddier for our listeners, but <laughs> we wanted to weigh in a little bit. We wanted to, to, to walk into this area and discuss it a little bit. So hopefully you walked away with some basic understanding. If you didn't, then I'm going to put a link to an article that was written by the great Amby Burfoot, um, who is a writer, um, most best known for as a writer for the for the Runners World magazine for for decades. Um, he wrote an incredible article that basically goes through this entire argument in a really coherent and extremely helpful way of reading through it. So if you if you are confused and or you want to read a real expert, not an expert, but somebody who's done their homework and investigated this topic in depth and understands the sport as he was uh, an Olympian, uh, went to the Olympic trial, Olympics or Olympic trials himself in 1968, was the Boston Marathon champion in 1968. He knows the sport extremely well. There'll be a link to a Let's Run article he wrote for them um, on this issue from top to bottom. It is um, the best place to go for one-stop shop for all the information on this particular topic. Um, it does not. It, it was written on April 22nd, so it doesn't have the most recent information um, after the fifth or the third of May when they when the um, CAS basically um, made their ruling. But it sets up right to that moment and um, is a fantastic resource for anybody that wants to. Read more about it but from there Tomek and I are going to move on we're going to start talking about um, our next very favorite topic which is Ilya Kipchoge <laughs> <laughs>
right. This, we, we probably should have just named this podcast the Kipchoge Fan Podcast instead of the Fanboy Podcast, since we pretty much are almost always just fanboying out and geeking out over the great, the greatest of all time, Ilya Kipchoge. But um, in the last couple of weeks, there was a big announcement that um, the company Ineos, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right exactly, but it is a... Um, it's an incredibly successful business in the UK who has announced that they are making a stay with, along with Kipchoge, are going to take a stab at Sub 2, um, what Nike called Breaking 2 a couple years ago, where they set that up on the track in Monza, Italy. Um, and they're calling this the Ineos 159, which I think is a really stupid name. I think they should have called it Sub 2 in some way, shape, or form. But I guess they were trying to dis distance themselves from the other attempt. Um, but here's the details. So we know for a fact that the race is going to be run or the, or the attempt is going to be done in the UK. We know it's going to be done late September to early October. The date is going to be flexible. I think they're probably going to be looking at weather, weather conditions. They're also probably looking at facilities that they'll be able to implement this. They're also looking at other folks that could probably give Kipchoge a hand along the process. Will we see um, a connection between some of his competitors? Could Sir Mo Farah be helping him out? Would he not help him out? Who all will be in this process? Will it just be guys who can make it through a certain set distance. Um, we know because you'll have pacemakers that this will not be an IAAF um, record attempt. It won't be done in a race. It'll be done on a set course. Um, and we don't know all the specific details of it except that it'll be late September to early October. And we know it'll be Kipchoge with a team of others to help him. Um, this is being set up by Jim Ratcliffe, the billionaire CEO of Ineos. Um, and um, so what do you make of this? Uh, of Tomek, what is your thoughts on this attempt, and what do you think um, this says about Kipchoge, where he is in the sport, and the sort of why he's doing this? Uh, so, yeah, Kipchoge says he's he believes his mission is to you know to show people that impossible things, there are no impossible things pretty much in sports. So he wants to, by running this sub two hour marathon show that breaking that barrier that stood once as impossible, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a problem anymore for human beings. So he's playing here this, this, uh, this historical kind of breakthrough and you know, for me, he's already he he already done that. You know, his his two hours and twenty five seconds marathon, or even his two o one world record is it's already proved that. Even his just the his racing style, his his training, and all of that. Like for me, he doesn't have to prove anything else. Uh, you know, he's already changed my my world. You know, and is it is it necessary? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's more entertainment. You know, they want to do it not in a in a se uh, secluded area like they did with Nike on a on a racetrack. They want to do it in in a, in a park in London, and where people can come and watch. And you know. 
but they want to do it not according to the the rules of of racing they want to do they want to do uh, bring paces like they did with sub 2 where the paces can come and run for 5k or 2k and then leave and rest and come back so for me that that doesn't make sense cuz like i know already you can you can run that fast so why not just do it in a race why why just uh, you know not try it like in a, in a, in in a race just make a race make up a race but just make it a race so the people can run it with you and they'd be like i was in that race when he broke two hours you know it's like seems a little bit uh i know they started compelling now this to you know sir banister sub four minutes but um but thus his race was was a race or was an exhibition only did i don't remember um no it was a it was a setup race and he had pacers which was a big argument at the time about whether or not that banisters record should be considered the world record or even a record at all even though he went sub four because at the time having a pacer was considered a no-no it was considered um not being a gentleman and so there were many people who said that that his event that his race should not have 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 been considered that the first person to go sub four but history has proven out that that is not true right but i agree with you i do think that 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 this is a separate category right but I'll let you finish your idea there. So, what, 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 where are you going? So, it was set up for Bannister. It wasn't necessarily a race. He had other guys that ran in the race and finished the race, but he had pacers, which then sort of can made it be considered not a an, an event in some people's minds. Right. So, I think it's gonna be you know it's gonna be great events, and I I I would like to see someone running sub two, you know, going. 150 whatever and that would be huge and but like i said it's it's more for me seems like exhibition it's i don't know it's 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 not gonna add much to for me to keep Chaga's achievements it's already what he's for me it's impressive impressive how he races and how he you know can overcome those other things and just go a time trial for for the marathon i know he can do it because he already almost did it so and the the conditions were not perfect in monza you know so it was warm whatever and he never he he had to stretch himself so much back then he was two or three guy so he pretty much ran three minutes faster than he ever did right now he just needs to run 25 six seconds faster i think he can do it but and even if he doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I don't know. I, and I don't like the guy, Jim Jim Radcliffe, that stands behind it. You know, he's the Ineos. E in how you say it? E Ineos, I think, is how you say it. Ineos guy. Yeah, he he just as as some li some listeners may may not know, but recently in cycling, Team Sky, that was dominating for the last few years with Chris Froome and other guys, Tour de France winners. Uh, changed its name from Sky to Team Ineos and they announced that three weeks ago and there was a tour of Yorkshire in in UK and a bunch of people came on the street and protested because they have something against the guy and the company they they do uh, 
they they get it's an oil company and they they accuse them of, of fracking I, I wasn't sure what it was and i checked and it's like this unsafe way to get uh, oil from from the ground where you just like destroying vegetation and all the stuff around so i don't want to see when kipchoge runs his attempt people standing with banners and saying you know fuck the Ineos thing, you know, Tim Rat, Jim Ratcliffe, and that would be, you know, bad. And like, I, you know, I don't want to be Kipchoge being associated with this guy. But uh, well, how do I know? I just only know what I read in the news, right, or on the internet. So it's it's another reason for me to believe that in a race situation would be better, but. We will see how it goes. You know, first he has to recover and go back to training. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my take on this is um, I don't agree with you that it would happen anyway in a race condition. Um, I think Kipchoge knows that. If Kipchoge thought that he could go sub two in a real race conditions, he would do it. Um, I think that he has a deep level of respect now, having done the one oh done the two hours and twenty five second effort, and then having just done his two oh one forty whatever it was effort, and he probably knows after finishing that up that he's going to need all those other little benefits since his cheater shoes have gotten him only gotten him so far right that he's going to need the other percent one or two or three percenters that he can get out there from having a pace car, having pacers, having a really flat course that is a loop course so all these other pieces of the puzzle that would optimize it now i am hoping that they don't do a radically downhill or any of that but i don't think kipchoge is <laughs> going to put his tip his hat that way right but i think kipchoge knows that he would not run under two and i do not agree with you either that it doesn't matter because i think that and that it isn't something for his legacy because the fact that we're even talking about it from the standpoint we we are only talking about this now because we know he already went two hours and 25 seconds if we didn't know that then we would think that the sub two hours was a huge deal that's the my argument right because but because we right. know that he can do it but he just missed it that day because of a few little things that might have happened you and i say it's sort of a dog and pony show anyway it's a fucking goddamn circus so don't get yourself wrapped up in that kipchoge please go to boston and run at the year we run boston right <laughs> so please go run new york city or do something different that could actually extend your legacy but I do understand why Kipchoge now feels that going under two hours is huge. And I think he is um, also considering for himself in the sense that he thinks that this sub two hour effort is in a category of a banister like uh, performance i don't think it is because of the way it's all set up right. but i do think he believes so and i do worry greatly with these other little pieces of the puzzle that are playing in with some political um strife that could come out with the sponsor behind the behind it um the strong feelings about that and some negative viewpoints that could come to play these are the things that nike sort of insulated um kipchoge from before and has he and his his people thought closely about how these things could affect his legacy in a negative perspective because they could and he could get embroiled in some things that might be negative and I agree that it's really important for him to have thought through those things and let's hope that that doesn't happen um, 
you know, of course, Kipchoge could get popped for, for te test positive for a performance-enhancing drug, and then his entire legacy will go down the tubes. But I don't think that he is doping, and I think that he's done these things on the up and up. And I know that I probably seem like a bit of an idiot to say that, but I really do believe he is clean. I just hate to see anything else sort of tarnish that. And But I, I don't know. I think that this... It doesn't necessarily help his legacy that much, but I still think going running 159.59 is a big deal to Kipchoge. And because it's a big deal to Kipchoge, I think he should do it. Because I feel like if he does that, then he'll continue to move along the line of checking the boxes off that things that make it feel like he's going to be um, the greatest of all time. We know that the main thing he needs to do and the, really the only other thing he needs to do to cement himself um, permanently in that regard beyond a doubt is that 2020 Olympic gold medal, right? Because that's really the thing he needs to do. Yeah. And I do think that this is probably another step along that line. Think about how important that two-hour, 25-second run was to his world record. You know, it's it's 14 months, eight, 16 months later at that after the two hours, 25 that he runs his world record. Um, how did that all set him up? Now you're looking at an event that's going to be basically almost 12 months prior to his uh, his defending his Olympic gold medal. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, I see this as, hey, let's not get into a competitive situation. Maybe he could feel the pressure of what happened with him at right. Berlin. I mean, at London and how close and tight people were. And he doesn't need to give any more, any other people, any more of an idea that they could compete with him. You know what I mean? So not getting on the starting line at New York. He saw how his training partner, Camore, on an un, on a non super fast course, who that no, I don't think anybody doubted last year that Joffrey Camor should have won the New York City Marathon, but he didn't. And could Kipchoge, Kipchoge get beat in those situations? You know, I think that there's enough. I don't think Kipchoge's thinking about those things, but I do think other people behind the scenes are. And I think that right. this sets him up perfectly for 2020 and an Olympic bid to get his Olympic gold medal. And I think that this is a great way to go through a process and work himself into the position because I don't think he needs any more competitive opportunities prior to the Olympic games um and we'll see if he does he could jump into something um he and his coach are nothing if not methodical and well thought out um and so maybe they will but i would be surprised i think this is going to be the shot and then he'll back off for a while and get himself prepped for the olympic games so that's my argument i think it's a good thing to do i worry about the the about the circus that could happen and the negative connotations with his sponsor um i don't even know why kipchoge needed a sponsor for this um and i'm not sure why that all played out that would be interesting to see i think you're right if he had set something up and said let's do a people's race um let's do this on a set course i'm going to get it started we're going to do this and you're going to i'm going to be out there and you're going to i'm going to have the inside track you guys will run it on the outside track you know there's a lot of different ways this could have got played out um and right. i wonder what all those decisions were made and how they were made but and i hope it doesn't impact his legacy but i do see why he's doing it and i applaud him for it and i believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that if the weather conditions are just even a modicum of optimal it's going to go down right it's going to go down and how far it goes right, down right. will be interesting right well to finish this marathon subject uh, chicago announced the uh, rap and farah are going to square again in in uh, october and Hase for the women, so it's going to be a great race too uh, to watch. I, I, that means Farah is not racing track this year in Doha, so yeah, you're probably scared of the Ugandans and, and whoever else, <laughs> Yeah, the, 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 and, uh, the, the so. Ethiopians and the Ugandans, exactly. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. And plus, he needs to practice his marathon skills if he wants to, you know, uh, race Kipchoge in, in Tokyo, which I think it's going to be the amazing race. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so moving on to the next topic, yeah. we'll quickly move on to the World Relays in Yokohama. We just want to highlight two basic races. There'll be a link to uh, a video for you guys to watch, but they put on an incredibly interesting exhibition race that I thought played out very interestingly. I think the World Marathon, the World Relays are kind of an interesting event. I hope that eventually they get some more interest when you look at the when you look at the number of people that were at that at the meet. It was kind of disappointing. <laughs> yeah. There was not very many people in the stands. Um, and it's it's a kind of a circus as well, a dog and pony show. Wonder what its long-term focus is, although I think it might be trying to set up that mixed relay that's going to happen in the Olympics this next year, um, which we'll talk about at some other point in time. But there was a two by two by 400 meter race um, in which about five teams lined up 800, two 800 meter runners. So one female, one male, and they alternated 400s. So they didn't do two 800. They didn't run an 800 and an 800. They went one ran a 400, then the other ran a 400 and they competed against teams. So it was a four by four, but it was only two people running the four by four. And at first I thought, what the fuck is this? And then I watched the race. Uh, and, Go and ahead. the teams had teams had a choice to put a woman first or or a man first, right? Right, so and there was definitely a strategy to that. Put, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So keep 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 telling the story. So they um, the went the United States put together a team which was a great team of Donovan Brazier and Sierra Brown. Sierra Brown's a 158-800 meter runner. Donovan Brazier's a 143-800 meter runner. Um, when you looked at the sheets of paper, you kind of looked at it and go, I would probably pinpoint them to win, right, based on what we knew about all those athletes. I didn't know the um, the 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 uh, the Japanese or nor did I know the um, polls as well as I knew the other teams, but it looked like they were going to be better. But it, man, it was an interesting race. And so we just bring that to your attention for you guys to go look at the video. And I have a link to the video in the show notes. Go check that out because this thing played out super interestingly. As, as Tomek said, <coughs> the Kenyans decided to run their man first and then the women, the woman after that, <coughs> the rest of the field decided to run the woman first and the man second. Um, I do not know why the Kenyans decided to do that. It was dumb because I think they might have competed um, better. And right. I think they probably would have gotten second in that race or at least third if they hadn't run it that way. But it certainly made it interesting because I think that the U.S. team would have blown everybody out of the water if it had been set up differently. But what happened was the gun goes off. They're relatively evenly matched as they go through the first I think Sierra Brown brought the brought the baton in first. No, uh, the Kenyan brought the baton in first because they had a male run first, um, and then all the women were pretty were pretty good distance behind him. The man ran one. I think he ran fifty nine seconds. I mean forty nine seconds for his first four hundred. I think the women ran like fifty eight or fifty nine or something like that. Eight. Yeah, yeah, fifty eight. Like so then what happened was when the then then the men ran um and they basically quickly s swallowed up by the, with 100 meters to go donovan brazier had already was basically right on the tail of the kenyan woman and went by her but what happened was when they made the baton switch um ciara brown no no 
Dunman Brazier had not caught the Kenyan woman or just caught her. And when the baton switch came, the yeah. Kenyan man was right, was just in front, probably two seconds, a second, two seconds in front of Sierra Brown. And Sierra Brown matched him, nearly matched him in the next 150 yeah. meters. I remember watching it going, oh shit, look at how fast she's moving. And I have watched many a four by four and many an 800. And I knew Sierra Brown was in deep, deep doo-doo. <laughs> Cause I was like, she should not be matching stride for stride. And this is the classic thing you see in women's and men's 400s where people don't pace appropriately or they don't have their efforts quite right. And then they blow up and Sierra Brown blew up the last hundred meters and yeah. nearly lost it for the men and not to her and i'm not blaming her i mean it is extremely hard that is such a weird thing but she matched him nearly stride for stride for 150 meters and then she paid dearly for it and it made the race pretty tight i mean at the end of the day the u.s men ran away the the australian men were the australian team <coughs> was pretty close actually i thought they ran a great great race but uh, you know it was the case that donovan had to go around <coughs> to go catch the Kenyan woman. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me, I got a, something in my throat, guys. <coughs> so, so that that was one of the uh, new new events. Another one was was four by four mixed relay, which is two men and two women, and then you can put them whatever whatever order you want. And that's that's the relay that's going to be introduced <coughs> this fall in Doha. And then later in Tokyo Olympics, so that that was fun too to watch the strategy. Usually, people would go with men going first, and two women, and then men at the end. That seems to be a, a order, a preferred order. And that that race was won by US. And uh, I I am proud of <laughs> Polish women team who four by four who who beat ended up winning and beat in a process us team uh, as a as a us team of course as a heavy favorite they had a they screw up the third leg us team and that get tangled kind of at the exchange so uh, three teams made a little bit jump on the us team and she was coming the fastest uh, i forgot her name courtney o'colo courtney o'colo from uh, texas yeah yeah, exactly. But but there was no way catching the Polish Polish girls. So that that was that's cool uh, cool finish of, of you know of the relays. Congrats um, to the Polish yeah, women. You were yeah, I'm sure exactly. it was a very proud day for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know results when I was watching, so I was was kind of screaming at the screen and I was really happy. So anyway, have, yeah, that was have, yeah. We have a link to all those events if you want to go watch them. Um, the Let's Run put together uh, a nice mix of them all so you can go check them out. It, it'll take about 20 minutes or 30 minutes of your day. But I think especially they lead off with a 2 by 2 by 400 and which is the one we initially went off on. And I think it might be interested viewing for those of you who would like to watch it. Um, finally, Tomek, we're going to cover quickly um, the Diamond League uh, meet that is coming up this weekend in Shanghai. Um, we have some two women's races that uh, that we're the races of interest. One is the women's fifteen hundred, and the other is the women's steeplechase. Um, tell us a little bit about the women's fifteen and and what you're excited about seeing there. Yeah, we we really like kind of checking out Sifan Hassan, who is kind of moving. Uh, uh, up in distance, but she's scheduled to race 1500 meters. She's she's kind of not new, but 
one of the recent additions to NOP and Ike Oregon project and Alberto Salazar. She she's you know kind of fascinating uh, runner. She's been mostly in the last years racing 1500 meters with with uh, sometimes appearance in the 5K. But uh, last year she debuted in a half marathon and ran 65 minutes. So now she looks like she might be being five or 10K runner. Uh, I think she ran, didn't she run in the Peyton Jordan? Yeah, she, she ran, ran the 10K. She ran the 10K. She got the, she ran uh, a 10K for, for Olympic. Yes. Yeah, she got the Olympic standard. I think she ran just yeah. sub 31, I think, or was it just sub 32? I can't remember. But anyway, whatever the Olympic standard yeah. is, she got it by 10 or 15 seconds. Um, it looked like she was doing, um, doing everything that she needed just to get that mark so that she would have the ability. I do think it's going to play out and be interesting to see she can run anything. She can be, she could be a world champion at anything. In my opinion, at anything from the fifteen hundred to the ten thousand meters this year, right? Like not the steeple. Right. She right, can't beat. Yeah. She can't beat Chep Koech. <laughs> but, but other than that, I think yeah. she could be a world champion. It'll be interesting to see how they play, and I think it's going to play into sort of what kind of cat and mouse game they're playing for um, the Olympic Games in twenty twenty. Yeah, and then you mentioned another uh, event, 3,000 meters steeplechase for women. It, it will be interesting to see how the uh, world record holder, Beatrice Chepkowicz, how is she going to set the, set the tone for this year's steeplechase and, you know, what kind of performance she can produce in her first appearance. And uh, what do you think? Is she going to go just straight sub nine and just just everyone... You know, it's hard to say. We'll she... have to kind of... Race to the I don't think anybody else can beat her. I mean, there are there are three young Kenyans that are, um, I think, now that she has sort of set that standard, um, they are they are the kind of athletes that would could easily hang on and maybe beat her. I think Chep Koech, we have we have seen many chinks in her armor that so far this year, right? She has chosen to race some distances that haven't been entirely comfortable for her. We saw her at the World Cross Country Championships where she got she was very aggressive early on and she paid for it and, and, and fell back. We also saw her in the three K, the Doha three K, where she tried to compete against again against some of the best flat runners. And, you know, she's an incredibly good fifteen hundred meter runner. We've been talking about her as being uh, we somebody we thought could compete with nearly anybody else on a flat race. But so far this year, that hasn't been the case. She has been um, not as good. Now, that's typically the case with steeplechasers. More often than not, steeplechasers can be competitive in flat races, but they're usually not the best. And so I think maybe we have been placing, or at least I've been placing Chep Koech on too high a, a, a pedestal. But I do wonder how those losses have played into her psyche. Although this girl, this woman is the woman who doesn't seem to care about anything. She just goes off the front. She's the one who actually didn't even go over this over the water jump um, in <laughs> a world championship a couple years ago or the Olympics a couple years ago and had to come back and, and, and get started all over again. So, you know, she's not the most intelligent woman on the starting line, at least for, that we've seen. So, but I do think she's, far and away the best steeplechaser when you run as fast as she has and break the world record to the extent that she did i think she's the prohibitive favorite but i am interested to see if these young youngsters can close the gap on her um especially Chesapole, who's been proven to be a pretty aggressive runner and also um fancy chirono both of them are sort of i've seen them run in the past and they're they're fearless they'll do crazy things so i do think that there might be a little drama in that race and we'll we'll let you know afterwards on how that all goes but Tomek, 
let's just talk about the race that really we want to talk about because there's no doubt that the best event on the track um, at this particular race, and I believe even the sprinters would say that and the throwers could say that, but the men's 5,000 meters is crazy stacked. It's stacked with athletes we've been talking about already this year. We talked about Kajelka and his world record in the 1500 in the mile. We've talked about indoors. We've talked about Berega and his cross country and how he could compete with the best in the world at cross country. He's also <clears throat> 1243k runner who is young, 18 set 18 19 years old, um who who has shown some chinks in his armor as a cross country runner, but we both know, both Tomek and I know he is a fast, fast track runner. We've also got the Ugandan world champion at the cross country meet who basically decimated an incredible field by winning those world championships and has proven him to be basically beyond, besides Kipchoge and Joffrey Kamor, perhaps the best runner on the planet currently. Um, you've also got um, Hagos um, Gebrowet, who's also a force to be reckoned with in the 5,000. And then, of course, you've got the American Paul Chalimo, who we haven't, who has not been running at the top, top level, but he is the Olympic silver medalist from 2016, represents the U.S. And word on the street is he's in incredible shape, and he's been waiting for this day to be his, his comeback day and for people to see where he's at. So what do you think? How do you think this race is going to play out, and who are you looking for? towards sort of getting a win here and do you want to make some predictions well i think i lost tomek there i'm not sure where he went or why he went there but i'll finish up and just finish out what i'm thinking when it comes to regards to this so basically what i think is going to happen here when you've got um I think you're going to have a race that's kind of being set up generally for Kajelka. And I think one of the challenges with all of these Diamond League races is, will this play out to be a fast race? And there are not very many reasons for these athletes to go sub-13 in this race, even though every single one of these runners that I just mentioned is probably capable of doing it. It's early in the year, so they're probably not quite ready to go or don't necessarily want to go sub-13, and I'm not sure that we'll see a sub-13 performance, but I do expect that we will see an incredible race because the real value of this race is who gets the win because the win, the first place, second place, and third place count as points. Those points play out into what happens with the IAAF overall standards. Um, and this being the last year that the 5,000 is going to be competed at the Diamond League level, it's even more important and more valuable. So Kajelka, I think in many people's minds is going to be the prohibitive favorite. Um, Berega, even though he, is, because he's run so fast this year, because he has already been, he's run up in distance, he's run down in distance, he seems to be the person who's most likely to have an incredible performance here. However, I think that Joshua Cheptegei, who I have basically been a champion of from start to finish throughout all of his races, the great Ugandan, will make this a much more competitive race. I think he's going to recognize that he does not want to be sitting around and trying to kick with the likes of Samuel Borrega over the final 200 meters. Borrega has been proven to be able to decimate an entire field. But I think Kajelka is in the same position of recognizing that he also does not want to be in a position of having to kick with Borrega. So that could play things out kind of interestingly. Um, in terms of picks, 
I'm going to pick Joshua Cheptegei for the win because until somebody proves to me that they can beat him, I think his he knows how to finish find a finish line. He's the horse that knows how to get to the barn. Even though many people will think it's crazy to pick him in a 5K, I still will, likely. Um, but And I do think that you'll see Kajelka get second and Borrega get third. I just don't think Paul Chalimo, the American, is quite ready yet. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's in there and in the mix, but I'm not sure that that's going to be what the case is. The real question I have is, where are the other Ugandans? Where is where is Jacob Kiplimo? Where are the Akayo, Akayo brothers? Where is Albert Cheptemai? Where are the athletes who were the best team in the world at cross country? And why are they not on the starting line of this 5,000? Um, I don't really, not saying necessarily there's nefarious reasons for that, but I'm just saying I want to see Jacob Kiplimo in another race. Um, and I want to see him racing against the best. I'm excited to see where he is. I was hoping we would see him in this race. But suffice it to say, this is a fantastic meet. This is going to be a great, great race. Again, I'm picking Cheptegei for the win. I'm picking Kajelka for second, and I'm taking Borrega for third. Those are my picks. Um, unfortunately, we lost Tomek, so he can't give you his picks. But until next time, this is Steve signing off for the fanboys. <laughs>